Duke's Mayo. Do you get it? Because only the ones that get it really get it. Your friends get it. Your mom gets it. Your grandma gets it. Your neighbors get it. Sometimes a dog gets it. Get out of there. What else? Uh, your potato salads get it. BLTs get it. Tailgates get it. And restaurants get it, too. By now, even you probably get it. So get it today. Made without any sugar since 1917, Duke's is that little southern something that makes good things better. Get Duke's. It's got twang. This podcast may discuss topics graphic in nature and possibly triggering to survivors. We value the safety and well-being of all of our listeners. So please practice personal discretion. Now, enjoy the show. Hey, I'm Paige. And I'm Natalie. We're the hosts of the Murder Diaries podcast. We bonded over tacos and true crime after we matched on Bumble BFF. You know, like any normal millennial using an app to meet new friends. Every Thursday, we upload a new episode. In each episode of The Murder Diaries, we tell true crime one story at a time. One week, it's my turn. And the next week, it's mine. You still think it's in my head, but I'm walking with the dead. We're going to start this episode off with some fun stuff. We want to give a special thank you to Myra, Penny, and Corey for the coffees they bought us. If you haven't had a chance already, go ahead and go to buymeacoffee.com slash mdiaries. We also wanted to talk about one of our favorite things, which is to see where people are listening to the podcast from. And right now... The regions and countries that are listening to the podcast the most are the UK, Canada, Australia, and Ireland. That, of course, comes after our home of the US. So thank you to the UK, Canada, Australia, and Ireland. We see you and thanks for your support. Without further ado, though, let's get into the story this week. This week, we're bringing a story from the U.S.'s East Coast in the 90s. It's the case of Curtisha Morning. In the fall of 1995, Curtisha Morning, born May 19, 1978, was 17 and a senior attending Riverhead High School. She was popular among her peers and was just thriving as a member of the class of 1996. Her sister, Petrina, describes her as a bronze doll. I love that so much. She further describes her sister as tall, thin, beautiful. Aside from just surface beauty, Curtisha was a very well-loved and beautiful person. Um, She had a lot of friends and she was active on campus. She participated in things like step club, choir, And on top of all of that, Cartesia maintained good grades and was currently the valedictorian of the class of 96. Her sister says she had her head on straight and knew exactly what she wanted in life. And that's saying a lot for someone who's 17 years old. She knows what she wants in life at a really young age and she's going for it. She was basically a miss all around and she excelled at most things that she took on. One of the things that Curtisha wanted to take on in life was becoming a doctor. Riverhead, New York, where Curtisha was from, is a small, tight-knit community on Long Island. Everybody knows everybody, and it's kind of like any other small town. 
like most small towns, being a homecoming queen is a high honor, especially at 17 years old. And Curtisha wanted it. For those not from the U.S. or maybe unfamiliar, homecoming queen is sort of like prom queen, just like you might see in some of the American teen movies. At least at my high school, it was a bigger honor than prom queen. But Natalie, I know at your high school, maybe prom queen was a higher honor. Yeah, I mean, it's been a long time. I actually was nominated for homecoming queen. Didn't win. It is a different time of the year. It happens during football season. Usually you're taken out onto the field during halftime. They announce the winner. Things like that happen. You don't really have that for prom. Right. There's a lot of activities surrounding homecoming. Yeah. I feel like this is going to blow the minds of some that don't live in the U.S. at how intense homecoming can be. Each class at my high school made a float and there was a contest for those floats. One of them would win the best float. And the girls were like, paraded around the track in a classic car before they were dropped off to line up to see who won queen. There's just so much buildup around who's going to win homecoming queen. Are we going to win the homecoming game? Yes, it's fun, but it's also kind of insane when you consider that these are teenage girls being paraded around. So that's just all to say what a big deal this would have been for Cartesia. And anywho, she was nominated for Homecoming Queen. So Curtisha was going to be one of the girls that her class would be voting for to win possibly Homecoming Queen. And she took that very seriously. She really wanted to win. One of the things that was on her side was her friends. She, like I mentioned, had a strong group of friends. And among this group is her best friend, Kalila. Kalila Taylor. She was a year older and the pair grew up together. Their moms actually went to high school together, I believe at the same high school as well. And the families were friends. So with all of that history, the girls were close too. Gotta love second generation besties. Yeah. Kalila was into fashion and hair, as was Curtisha. And homecoming was no time to let go of this passion for all things fashion, hair, makeup. And Kalila actually did Curtisha's hair for the homecoming game where Curtisha and the other nominees were going to be decked out in their evening attire. Like I mentioned at my high school, the girls are kind of paraded around with the floats and in classic cars. Big deal. So she's decked out in an evening dress, ready to go find out who won homecoming queen. Well, the big game arrived and Curtisha won. The crowd cheered for Curtisha as the crown was placed on her head and the homecoming queen sash was bestowed upon her. Curtisha was so happy to have won. Her sister recalls with a smile in one of her interviews that Curtisha would even walk around her house with the crown on, just relishing in the honor to have that crown in her possession and to have won homecoming queen. With homecoming queen being such a high teenage honor, if you will, all eyes were now on Curtisha, including those of Carl Brown. He was a few years older than Curtisha, who again was a senior, and he was a bit of a bad boy. And being older, he had already graduated from Riverhead High School. And there isn't a ton out there about how the relationship started, but nonetheless, the pair started dating in early 1996. As this relationship buds, 
Kurtisha did not set her eyes away from her future. She planned on enlisting in the U.S. Army. And one of the main reasons that her family mentions is that she was looking forward to assistance with affording college. Her family mentions this in their interviews regarding Kurtisha's enlistment or recruitment, if you will, into the Army because Kurtisha actually earned a scholarship with the Army when she joined. So she would be able to afford college and maybe become an officer in the army, now having that degree in the future. I tried very hard, but could not find information on the exact scholarship that she earned. But there are scholarships out there for high school students who are looking to enroll, but also attend college. That now leads us to a timeline for Kertisha's case. On February 29th, 1996, Kurtisha had school like any other weekday. However, on this day, she was also set to speak at the nurse's assistant orientation at the BOCI Center. The BOCI Center is a career tech vocational center. It's right next to the high school, and they have programs for high schooler students that are in the local district on Long Island. It was there that Kurtisha was participating in the nurse's assistant program to also earn a certification in that on top of her regular high school courses. On the same day at 4 p.m., Kurtisha was also set to meet with the Army recruiter. As we mentioned, she was working on enlisting and she had that meeting set for 4 p.m. Kurtisha made it to school. She made it to the orientation to speak. And around 10.25 a.m., she left the orientation to walk back to the high school and back to class as expected. So basically, Kurtisha had to leave regular class to go speak, and then she was to come straight back. And again, these buildings are very close together. So the BOCI Center is across a two-lane street from one of the athletic fields from the high school. So essentially, you could walk the campus to cross that little two-lane street and be at the BOCES Center. In the TikTok video I have announcing the case, I do show a map so that you can see how close they are. It should also be noted that when she left the BOCES Center, she presumably would have been the only student or should have been the only student that was walking to and from that building to campus. It was class time at the high school and the orientation for those high school students that wanted to attend the program, the orientation was still in session. So she wasn't walking with a group back to class or anything like that. So we know she made it to school. We know she made it to the orientation, but where she didn't make it was home. Is your daily grind getting you down? A thermospas hot tub may be the solution. Just a few minutes under those powerful, soothing jets, and all your stress seems to melt away, like you're lying on a cloud of bubbles. You'll not only feel better, but sleep better, too. Call 877-861-4672 now. And for a limited time, save $1,250. Call 877-861-4672 or visit thermospas.com to schedule a free on-site assessment. Kurtisha normally arrived home by about 3 p.m. And on this day, despite the 4 p.m. meeting with the Army recruiter, she was expected at the same time because her sister recalls forgetting that she even had a meeting with the Army recruiter that day. I include this information because it will make a little bit of sense more later. Regardless, the family starts to call friends, including Kalila, who we mentioned earlier, to see where she might be. 
They don't end up finding any information on where Kertesha is, but they don't get information on where Kertesha is, but they do discover that she hadn't been seen since she left that orientation. Police are notified around 1 a.m. on March 1st, and by about 48 hours later, she was officially filed as a missing person. The afternoon of March 1st, Kertesha's backpack and her nursing scrubs from that nursing program she was doing were found in the wooded area by the school. After this discovery, media coverage picks up. Panic also picked up in the community, and the search for Kertesha grew. There were posters throughout the town. The search group would stop cars and ask if anybody had seen her, and New York police joined the search, and they brought in canines. Everyone was hoping to find Kertesha, but no luck. Police continued to follow up on all leads, though. On March 20th, Suffolk County Homicide Division was finally notified by the local police of the case, and they were told to be on alert and on the lookout for anything that might be related to Kertesha. This essentially gave them a heads up that this case may be joining their caseload. Five days later, that same homicide division would be joining the investigation officially. On the evening of March 25th, 1996, a woman and two boys that she was babysitting for were enjoying some outside time playing on the high school's athletic field. The woman notices something she thinks is a leather jacket among the leaves, which is also against the fence area. She bent down to get a closer look and noticed it wasn't just a jacket. Wearing that jacket was a body. It was Kertesha's body. She was face down in a pile of leaves with over 90 stab wounds. Police had searched that area, but due to the snow and the leaves in the winter, police did not find her. The canines I mentioned that the New York State Police brought in, those were canines that searched for humans that were currently still living, not cadavers. So unfortunately, they hadn't found her in that area either. At any rate, she was found now, and with over 90 stab wounds, it was clear that Kertisha was murdered in a brutal attack. Found near the body was one of Kertisha's gold earrings. The matching earring was in one of her ears. They also found a silver herringbone chain necklace. It took me a second to connect what a herringbone chain necklace was. And then, of course, I saw the pictures in the documentary that is listed in the show notes. It's basically one of those classic flat chain necklaces that doesn't have any embellishments on it or anything like that. Just a flat, beautiful chain. Investigators knew, due to the vicious nature of Kartisha's murder, that this was a crime of passion. Kartisha's family is brought to their knees at the discovery of her body, and rightfully so. They were ready to seek justice ASAP. Investigators are with the family and... The way they put it in their interviews, they intended to deliver justice to the family. They got right to work. They start by looking up what's new in Kertisha's life and what men are in Kertisha's life. And Kertisha had both of those in that of Carl Brown. He was a newer boyfriend and they definitely wanted to look into him more. Kertisha and Carl were a total opposites attract relationship. She was a well-rounded, good girl, and Carl was... As I mentioned earlier, a bit of a bad boy. She intended to save herself from marriage. Carl, he was actually pushing for more of an intimate relationship. And there was an incident that is mentioned in one of the documentaries I watched that 
caused a fight between the two where he was kind of pushing and pushing and pushing to start an intimate relationship and she was not having it and she actually broke it off because of that. Carl wanted her back, but she wasn't having it. She had a bright future ahead and she wasn't sure how Carl was going to fit into that at this point. That doesn't stop Carl though. He hatched a plan to win her back. He showed up at the high school, already having graduated himself on Valentine's Day. He made a bit of a scene and kind of professed his love to Kertisha in front of other students. Kertisha was mortified. She was not somebody that liked that type of attention and she denied him on the spot. She did not go back together with him. Investigators wondered if the Valentine's Day incident caused him to become so angry that if he couldn't have her, he didn't want anybody else to either. He also had a bit of a past with the law. He had some drug cases that he was involved with, and he also had a couple of domestic violence items that they were able to see in the system as well. There was no direct evidence found at the scene linking him, though. When he was interviewed, he denied involvement, but he gives investigators a new lead. He tells them to check into his ex-girlfriend. That ex-girlfriend is Kalila Taylor. Yes, the Kalila that was Kertisha's longtime friend. Carl and Kalila dated off and on for quite a while, and they even had a son together, Carl Jr. He was born in February of 94 when Kalila was just shy of 17 and Carl was 19 or 20. In December of 1995, just a few months after Kertisha would have won Homecoming Queen, Carl and Kalila moved in together to live as a family with their son. Two weeks later, though, they were broken up and Carl had moved out. Kalila had moved home. Unfortunately, she wasn't able to, at that time, afford the apartment on her own. A few weeks after that, Carl and Kertisha started dating. So this is now more towards the beginning of 1996. In being friends for a long time and having a child with Carl, you could imagine Kalila was not happy about the recent events that her best friend and her ex-boyfriend are now dating. The investigation goes on and Kertisha is laid to rest at her funeral while the mystery remained of what happened to her. It's described that at the funeral ceremonies that there was a tension and unease in the air. The community was really on edge and they wondered, could the murderer have even been attending the funeral, be at the high school? Who was this person that murdered Kertisha? And at this point, like I said to the public, it could have been anyone. Investigators took what Carl said seriously and they look into Kalila. As I mentioned, Kalila was a year older than Kertisha and they grew up together with their families being close as well. And Kalila dated Carl on and off for years, having a son together. When Carl ended that relationship for good, like we were mentioning just a moment ago, that is when he turned his sights to Kertisha. And Kalila was not happy about this. There was even an incident just four days before Kertisha went missing where Carl and Kertisha were together talking and hanging out and Kalila showed up furiously and began screaming at them. One of the resources mentions that she pulled a knife at this incident as well. Kalila now had a motive in the eyes of investigators. Jealousy. And what's more, investigators are informed by a few witnesses Kalila was seen at the high school the day Kertisha was murdered. She was already graduated, so why would she be there? Investigators questioned her about this, and she denies being on campus. She says she was working that day at a fast food restaurant 
One of the resources mentions that it was Wendy's. While denying being on campus, she does, however, admit to the confrontation that I was just mentioning had happened four days before Kurtisha's disappearance. Investigators notice that she had some healing cuts and scars on her hands that seemed a bit suspicious, especially those of us into true crime know that a lot of times when there is a stabbing, the perpetrator will often accidentally cut themselves while stabbing their victim. So investigators notice these kind of healing cuts and scars and they take pictures of them. What investigators are questioning though when it comes to Kalila is that this attack was so brutal. They just question if a best friend and question if a girl could do something like that. Which to me, and here at the Murder Diaries podcast, we always say, don't underestimate women. As the investigation moved on, Kartisha's sister was keeping notes on everything surrounding her sister's case. This included things that had her or her family feeling suspicious or questioning. And keeping such good track of her sister's case, Kartisha's sister remembers the meeting with the Army recruiter, Sergeant Sweeney, that she had forgotten before. So now, even though it's a little down the ways, we finally have another lead of, did she get to this meeting and who is Sergeant Sweeney? She fills investigators in about this meeting that Kurtisha was supposed to have. And she goes on to tell them that Kurtisha had once told her that at one of the meetings that she had with Sergeant Sweeney, he kind of flirted with her. He made a pass and it made her feel a little uncomfortable. Rightfully so. He's the adult in this situation and should be leaving a teenage girl be. Not only is he the adult, but he's the authority in this situation. So all around, it's not looking good. Investigators agree and they decide to look into him. He was a shorter, stockier guy in that fit kind of way. Kurtisha met with him for the first time when she went to inquire about enlisting to begin this conversation. And that's the same meeting when he sort of flirted with her as her sister recalls. Despite the creepy vibe, Kurtisha made a follow-up meeting so that she could continue along with the enlistment process. This is that meeting that Kurtisha was supposed to attend at 4 p.m. the day she went missing, February 29th, 96. When questioned, Sergeant Sweeney denies flirting with Kurtisha and any involvement in her murder. He showed investigators his calendar, which gave him a full alibi. The investigation seems to hit a standstill at this point, but they push on, and eventually a new break in the case occurs. At a meeting with investigators, Kurtisha's family and the investigators review what was found at the scene when Kurtisha was found and which of it the family could now take home with them in Kurtisha's memory. They gave them back the backpack, the earring, and then they give them a necklace. Her sister Petrina sort of jumps up and says, that's not hers, no way. The biggest telltale of this not being Kurtisha's is that the necklace was silver, the earrings were gold, and Kurtisha did not mix metals when it came to jewelry. That was a pet peeve of hers. Her sister's jumping up and having this deep of a reaction because she knows this necklace could be a lead to who murdered her sister. Why is this necklace at the scene if it didn't belong to her sister? So the question now is whose necklace is this? The size of the necklace was consistent with what a woman would wear. And because it was found at the scene, but not Kurtisha's, investigators knew too that this could belong to the killer. If the killer was a woman, as the necklace pointed to, then was it Kalila? She was the only woman 
that investigators had their sights on with a possible motive. Now, they just needed to connect Kalila to the necklace. Smartly, investigators head to Riverhead High School to go through the yearbooks. They wanted to check out the ones that Kalila was featured in, and they also looked at all of the photos for those years that didn't make it into the yearbook. They thumbed through, and bam, there it is. A picture of Kalila wearing the herringbone chain necklace. They obtained more photos of Kalila in this necklace through other avenues as well. And this is all before social media. So they didn't have Facebook and Instagram to go look through photos of Kalila. They really had to do some digging. And this would have taken more time because of that. You can't just log on to social media and look at all the pictures within, you know, 30 seconds. Investigators took the necklace and photos to a gemologist. And this gemologist is interviewed in one of the documentaries as well. So very interesting role in this case because the gemologist confirmed that it was for sure the same necklace. He expresses such confidence in his interviews. He says it was, quote, physically impossible that the necklace at the scene wasn't the one in the photographs of Kalila. It seems crazy to be able to identify if a necklace is exactly the same necklace, right? Well, they could tell because there was some damage on part of the chain of the necklace that was found at the scene. And this damage was consistent to damage that could be seen on the necklace in photos of Kalila wearing it. The pattern of the herringbone, which herringbone is obviously a pattern in and of itself, but on this particular necklace, it's described to be a bit distinct in a gemologist's eyes as well. I've seen a couple pictures of the necklace, uh, one where she's wearing it and one of the necklace itself. I can't quite tell, but of course, I'm not a gemologist. With this discovery, detectives question Kalila again. She says, yep, it's my necklace, but I gave it back to Carl. He's the one who gave it to me. He's the one you need to look at, not me. So then they go, okay, did Carl get this necklace back and give it to Kertisha? What's going on? So they question him and he says, Yes, that's the necklace I gave Kalila, but I never got that necklace back. So essentially it turns into a whole he said, she said thing. One of them's lying and investigators know they need to figure out who. They get back to the case files and they revisit the alibis. Carl's alibi was that he was at home and they weren't going to really be able to verify that if he was home alone. Kalila's alibi was that she was working and... They checked that out and it was discovered that she showed up late to work that day. So they've got an alibi that they can't really verify and they've got an alibi that isn't checking out too well because Kalila was late to work that day. Blood samples from the scene had been collected, including blood from Kertisha's clothing that had been collected and sent off to the lab for analysis. The results come back. Kalila's blood was a match for the blood found on Kartisha's boots and pants. Presumably, this is from the hand wounds that she endured while stabbing. The answer had been found. Kalila was arrested in June of 1997, and she was charged with second-degree murder of her best friend, Kartisha. It's believed that after that confrontation a few days before Kartisha went missing, that Kalila's jealousy stewed. And a few days later, on February 29th, 1996, she waited for Kertisha as she walked in the more wooded area back to campus from the Bosey Center. She then attacked her and stabbed her 
almost a hundred times and left her for dead. Kalila's hand slipped on the knife, causing her blood to be at the scene and thus the DNA sample returning the answer that she was there. The trial began August 25th, 1999, and it was very emotionally charged and described as unbearable for the families. The community was divided between the two families too. Remember, this is a small area. So you had people on Kalila's side and people on Kartisha's family's side. There was no confession from Kalila and the DNA was helpful, but it was described in the documentary that it wasn't as accepted or even as understood in 1999. The prosecution says, we have the witness saying Kartisha was on campus that day. Her necklace places her there at the scene, as does her blood that was found on Kartisha's clothes because she cut her hand while stabbing Kartisha. The defense says detectives were so quick to focus on Kalila and that she had been framed. They try to paint a picture where there could have been an abduction and they claim that her body must have been put under the leaves later and that's why it took a month to find it. Kalila took the stand September 28th, 1999. She claimed that she was framed by the police and that's how her necklace was at the scene. Kalila also claims on the stand that a month before Kartisha's murder, that she was in an unrelated fight and at the hospital after being in that fight. Kartisha was also at the hospital at the same time because she was visiting her mother. While at the hospital, Kartisha and Kalila run into each other. Kalila claims that Kartisha must have been wearing the same clothes on that day as when she was murdered, and that's why her blood was on the clothes that Kartisha was wearing that day. After two months of trial, the jury finally deliberated and Kalila was found guilty. She was sentenced to 25 years to life for second-degree murder. In April 2004, the state appellate court overturned her conviction. The grounds they overturned on were that the judge, Arthur Pitts, had incorrectly directed the jury to consider the DNA evidence as direct evidence instead of circumstantial evidence, which is the appropriate acceptance at that time. A retrial was then ordered. However, in 2006, a county court judge ruled that Kalila was not mentally fit to stand trial, and the retrial was pushed back. It was pushed back based on the fact that letters had been sent to that judge, which at the time he called bizarre, baseless, and delusional. One of these letters claimed that she was pregnant with a lizard and that police had a machine that made clones from snakes. She further claimed that Kartisha's clone is the one that was murdered not the real Kartisha, the original Kartisha. A forensic psychiatrist was then appointed by the court to evaluate her. And that's when she was officially deemed unfit and she was sent to a psychiatric hospital. She spent years there and in 2010, she was found fit to stand trial again. To avoid a full trial and for the families to not have to go through this again and to just lay this to rest, she was offered a plea bargain. She was offered 18 years for a confession. However, Kalila declined despite her attorney and family's hopes. Kalila finally received her retrial in June of 2012. On July 2nd, 2012, a jury found her guilty again. On August 23rd, she again received 25 to life. Kalila will be eligible for parole May of 2022 with the hearing date projected for January. 
And that is where this case leaves off. With today's episode, we want to honor Katisha's family and the homecoming queen herself. May she rest in peace. And may her memory be a blessing. Until our next episode, you know where to find us. At the Murder Diaries pod on Instagram, at the Murder Diaries pod at gmail.com and murderdiariespodcast.com. You can also find us on TikTok at the Murder Diaries pod. And if you haven't already, go ahead and rate, review, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It helps us keep the good content flowing. Your five stars mean everything. And until then, stay safe. Bye. Bye. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.